Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith, and currently we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Fill in the blank forms out there for you if you want one. Esther's going to try to work ahead. I don't know. <laughs> Sherry's job is to elbow her. She looks like she's getting too far ahead. <laughs> we got a lot of material here today. I don't know that we'll get through the whole study today, and if we don't, that's okay. We're going to we'll pick it up wherever we leave off at the end. But we're in the middle of Genesis chapter forty-three, so we're we're getting there, folks. We're getting near the end. Uh, I don't know. I, I think I'm starting to get nervous. In, a, in another year? In another year. We might be done in another year. Well, you got to go into Exodus. <laughs> 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 Sherry's like, I think we need... Exodus. <laughs> yeah, we'll see an Exodus from <laughs> from the room. <laughs> Why? I don't know. It just seems like a funny joke. <laughs> yeah, Exodus to the left. Genesis chapter 43. We're halfway through this chapter. We're in verse 16 is is where we're at right now. So by way of review a little bit, we've done verses 1 through 15. That was when the dad, all right, Jacob said to his sons, Israel said to his sons, hey, go get us some more food. And they're like, we're not welcome. We can't go down there and get more food. The official, Pharaoh's official, whoever that guy was, told us not to come down again unless we bring our little brother Benjamin and the dad got upset about that. And then finally, Judah pulls dad aside, has a talk with him, and, and says, Dad, we really, we can't. We can't go without him. And so dad agreed. Dad said, take some of the best that we have to offer, some of the little dainties of the land, the, the victuals of the land, and uh, take them with you as a gift. And so they went. And we left off in verse 15 where it says, So the men took that present and Benjamin, and they took double money in their hand and arose and went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. And that's as far as we got. Verse 16, somebody mind reading verse 16. This is as they arrive in Egypt. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take this man to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready, for this man will dine with me at noon. Excellent. Thank you, Gabriella. So here you have Joseph, and it sounds like he's probably looking for them, right? I mean, you remember going way back that there were multiple places that the grain was to be stored, and therefore multiple places where the grain was to be distributed. And it was kind of interesting and amazing that Joseph was able to see his brothers arrive the first time as if he knew which place they would be going to, as if he would knew the one that would be closest to them, expecting uh, the famine's going to hit the land of my family and they're going to eventually come down here to buy some grain. And here he is looking for them again, and he sees them before they see him. And he recognizes that they've got an additional person with them. They've got his little brother, Benjamin. All right. So he gives his steward orders. He goes, hey, those guys over there, see them over there? Those ten, because Simeon's still in jail. All right. And Joseph is, is well, he's Joseph. So out of the 12 brothers, it's the 12 minus those two. So he sees the 10. He tells his steward, hey, those guys over there, I want you to take them to my palace, to my house. And, and we're going to have we're going to have lunch together. All right. So the steward who's in charge of everything is who's now appointed to go get these guys and round them up and take them to Joseph's house. And so that's what's going to happen. As we're looking at that, one of the interesting things is that Joseph has a steward. 
Remember when Joseph was the steward? Remember when he was in charge of, of Potiphar's whole estate? Right, and it had charge over everything except for the wife. <laughs> and you remember how that story unfolded. But here, it's kind of interesting that Joseph is now the one who's got a steward. He's got somebody that he can send out and commission with different tasks around the house and whatnot. And go and slaughter an animal and make ready. That slaughter an animal and make ready, I can't help but think of the story in the New Testament where an animal is slaughtered, where where the father in that story says, go slaughter an animal for my son. Mm-hmm who was dead, is now alive again. You remember there wasn't a son that died and was alive again. It was the prodigal son story. And the prodigal son who had gone away, and the father in that story is watching for him to return. And when he returns, he gives the command to kill the fatted calf. We're going to celebrate because he's back. All right. So this kind of has a reminiscing of that sort in the sense that there's going to be a celebration that's going to be going on with this time. And let me ask you this. What do you suppose the meal's going to be like? You suppose Joseph is going to have his steward go out and get Del Taco? I mean, I like Del Taco. I'm not bagging on Del Taco. But that's probably not the meal that they're going to have, right? It's probably going to be something really fancy, all right? It's not going to be wrapped in paper. (laughs) It's probably going to be really, really pretty good. Uh, Verse 17, somebody might be reading that one. The man did as Joseph told him and took the men to Joseph's house. So he's bringing them to Joseph's house. Now, what, what I want you to think of, though, is not like a house like we see out here and the neighbors out here. All right? I want you to think something that would be fitting uh, of a person of his position. All right, Think instead maybe of a palace or an estate. Okay, And what I also want you to realize is as we're reading this, it's unclear. Is he in the house? Are they in the house? Or are they not in the house yet? There's probably a house surrounded by a courtyard. Okay, so I want you to have in your mind a, a picture of a courtyard, all right, a piece of property with a, with a, a large entryway, a large courtyard, and then another inner house or the actual structure that they're going to be going into, and that'll help make sense of some of this as we go on. So the man he he goes and does as Joseph ordered. He goes and he gets the man, and he's bringing them to Joseph's house. Now, on what terms did they leave Egypt? Last time they were in Egypt, was it under good terms? Not so much, right? They had the food that they had gone to get, but they had been accused of being spies. They had been given a test to prove that they were honest men, and they'd been gone a long time since then. They they didn't promptly return to demonstrate that they satisfy the requirements of the test to prove they're honest men, right? So there's probably some trepidation on their part when they come back into town, And they're gathered up by the official steward and says, I'm supposed to gather you guys up and take you over here. (laughs) All right. Uh, Yeah, they're probably a little bit nervous. And if you remember, in addition, there was that issue with the money. Remember, they had the grain and they they get most of the way home, it sounds like. They open up one of the sacks because one of the donkeys gets hungry and there's the money in the sack. And by the time they get home where dad is, they find there's money in all the sacks. Everybody got their money back, and now it's like, oh, dear, on top of everything else that happened, now we're going to be thought of as thieves. So they've come into Egypt thinking, the last time we were here, we were accused of being spies. We got a test to prove we're honest men, and it's been a long time. We're kind of missed the deadline for the test, in a sense. And now we're going to be thought of as thieves because we found all the money, and that was supposed to pay for the grain. How was it that we ended up with it? God is punishing us. So if you think God is out for you, if you think God's going to punish you and you roll into Egypt not knowing what to expect 
And then the head guy's steward comes and gathers you up and says, I have special orders to take you as a group over here. You've already been spotted. You have already been singled out. You've already had somebody rounding you up. Yeah, there's probably some trepidation (laughs) in their lives. By the way, if somebody ever tries to kidnap you, don't let let them ever take you to the next place because it's always a place of advantage for them. (laughs) So in their minds, if they're thinking, oh, my goodness, he's taking us somewhere else, they realize it's probably to a place of advantage for him. Verse 18, with all that in mind then, somebody mind reading verse 18. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house, and they said, It is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he may make a case against us and seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. Mm, So they are thinking already that they're in trouble. They're thinking God's out for us, and here we go. This isn't looking good. By the way, Esther is reading from the New King James Version. And her version says, the same as mine, uh, make a case against us. But some of you probably have other translations. Anybody else have NIV where it says something different? You see something different? Lupita, what does yours say right there? It says, we were brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks for the first time. Okay. He wants to attack us and overpower our power now incites us as a slave and take us as donkeys. Excellent. Thank you, Lupita. He wants to attack us. Did you catch that? The same phrase can be translated as make a case against us or attack us. Some of your versions might have overpower us or some of them might say assault. All right. So they are already thinking this is what's going to probably happen to us. He probably wants to attack us. He probably wants to take us, seize us and make us slaves. Does that sound familiar to anything we've read in the last couple of chapters? Remember what happened to Joseph. These very guys that are concerned, they're going to attack us. They're going to seize us and make us slaves. These same guys are the ones that did that to Joseph. They attacked him. They overpowered him. They seized him. They sold him as a slave. They've done all of that same stuff to this guy. And they don't even know it's the same guy. (laughs) If they knew, they'd probably think they're in an even worse position, probably. (laughs) They'd be like, oh, dear, it's the same guy we just did this to, you know, 20 years ago. Consciousness of guilt. Consciousness of guilt is exactly right. You ever heard of a guilty conscience? Yeah, it sounds like it's showing up here in spades, right? Uh, J. Vernon McGee uh, has something to say uh, somewhat along those lines about having a guilty conscience. He says regarding this passage right here, these men are really panicky now. They can't imagine him inviting them to his home for any good purpose. He had dealt with them so harshly before, and now he is inviting them to lunch. Again, here is something that under ordinary circumstances would be something to brag about. Wouldn't you brag if the President of the United States had invited you to the Blue Room or, better yet, the dining room for dinner? You would think it was a wonderful privilege, yet for these men, such a privilege brings no joy whatsoever. You see, they have a guilt complex. They feel guilty about everything that happens because they are the ones who sold their brother. Guilt changes joy into misery. Guilt changes joy into misery. You're thinking, oh, that's what i got to fill in the blank. That's not the blank you fill in. Here's the blank you got to fill in. The first one is previously treated as spies and now invited to a royal banquet. Esther's got a smirk on her face like she got one of them right or something. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she's counting synonyms. <laughs> previously treated as spies and now invited to a royal banquet. Verse 19, somebody mind reading that one. When they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house. Okay, now, so can you imagine this, right? So the steward, 
they recognize he's the guy that's been commissioned by the one in charge to get them. And they recognize this is maybe our last chance to plea, you know, for mercy of sin, of a sort. So they go to him with their plea. And so here's what I want you to recognize, though. In this verse, look where they're at. See where they're at? Where are they at in this verse? They're at the door of the house. All right. We, we know how this story goes. And most of us have read this before. Most of us, this is not the first time we've been here. And, and for those of us who know how this is going to turn out, we probably look at this with a smile in a sense because we know everything's going to be okay. All right? They don't know that yet, though. They're at the threshold of the door, and for all they know, they may never come back that way. They may never be able to leave again. Right? Sometimes in our lives, God leads us to a place, a threshold of a door that we're to pass through, and we don't want to. We think that this is not the way I should go. This is scary. I don't know what's on the other side of the door. Bad things could happen to me. We're out of control in the sense that we don't know what's in there, so we can't control what's going to happen once we go through the door. We get to the threshold and we put on the brakes. Does God intend for them to go through this threshold? Absolutely. The story becomes clear. If you know the story, (laughs) yes, he intends for them to go through that threshold. What do we know is on the other side? God's blessings upon them. God's will for their lives. This is all going to unfold, but it requires they go through the threshold first. Sometimes in our lives, there are lots of things that are still yet to unfold that are on the other side of a threshold. We might be putting our feet up and trying to stop ourselves from going through. Sometimes we need to let go and let God. It's kind of a cliche. Uh, Romans 8.28 promises us what? That all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. They didn't have the benefit of Romans 8.28 back then in the sense that it wasn't written down for thousands of years until after them. Right? We have that benefit, though. So as we're at those places where we're at those thresholds that God intends for us to go through, and we don't know what's on the other side, but everything seems to be pushing us that way, maybe God's going to work everything out for you. Maybe go through the threshold. Maybe trust that God's got this. All right. So here they are. They're stuck at the threshold, and they're panicked, and they recognize this guy. He has some authority. Maybe we could talk to him, right? And so what do they do? They, in a panic, sputter all the stuff that they want to sputter. And so for the next uh, verse 20, verse 21, verse 22, it says this. It said, oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. But it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks. And there each man's money was in the mouth of his hack. Our money was in full weight. So we have brought it back in our hand. And you can imagine whoever's doing the speaking, right, is probably pointing to his brothers to, like, show your pockets, you know, show that you've got the money. You know, before we have to go through this threshold, show that we brought it back, you know. And we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We don't know who put our money in our sacks. They're panicked, right? They think this is going to be really, really bad. They're putting on a defense. They're trying to say, here, if this is about the money, we got the money. We brought back the money that you, that was the first time. We brought back the money for this time. We got all the money that we need. You know, please. And, and what does he say? Verse 23. Somebody mind reading that one. This is the steward talking now. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. Is that the response they're expecting? No, (laughs) that's not the response they're expecting. Uh, By the way, let me ask you a question about the steward. Do you suppose the steward is Hebrew? No. I I don't think so. I think he's he's Egyptian. That's my guess. There's nothing to indicate otherwise. (laughs) I'm pretty sure he's Egyptian. But he's got some strange things on his lips. The words that he says are, are, are unexpected. Not only is it good news that they, that they hear, 
But even the wording of it is strange. Uh, and notice this. He says, uh, what did your say, version say, Mike, the very first part that he says? Don't be afraid, your God, the Excellent. God of your Father, has given you treasure in your sacks. Thank you, Mike. Don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of your other versions will say peace or peace be with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is shalom. <laughs> He's saying peace be with you. He's saying shalom. Do not be afraid. Your God, the word that's used here is Elohim, and the God of your Father, that's Elohim, has given you treasure in your sex. What do we see here? Shock number two, writing down on your uh, fill-in-the-blanks form right there. Shock number two is a seemingly pagan Egyptian gives glory to the God of Israel. (laughs) Esther's so proud of herself. I think she got both of those. (laughs) A seemingly pagan Egyptian gives glory to the God of Israel. It seems to me that perhaps Joseph has had some influence in this man's life. This is not the way an Egyptian would answer, even if he was in on the gag, right? It sounds like Joseph not only trusts his steward enough to fill him in on what's going on, but maybe has a relationship with the steward such that Joseph's relationship with God has rubbed off on this guy, all right? Because he's talking like we would expect a Hebrew to talk. He's not talking like you would expect an Egyptian to talk. I don't know. Maybe it's my maybe it's my imagination, but that's just the impression I'm getting here. All right. By the way, when it talks about the treasure there that's in your sacks, he could have, the author could have, Moses could have written in here as he's writing about what happened in this account. He could have written money. There's another word for money. It's a more common word for money. He actually uses a more dramatic word, and it's a word for treasure, even buried treasure. All right. he's, he's saying that the God of your father has given you buried treasure in your sacks. Well, they didn't have to dig very far to get it, but it's kind of neat to, to make it sound that way that they've got buried treasure in their sack. I can't help but think when I'm reading about that, about buried treasure, uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus in speaking and teaching there, he says, the kingdom, of, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. So imagine the man, he's out in the field, he finds his treasure, and what does he do? He found it, he, he hides it, right? He buries it back up, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. What, is, what does that mean? It means he finds something so precious, so valuable, that he's willing to liquidate everything else in his life and devote it all to assuring his possession of this, of this buried treasure. What is it describing? Well, it says right there, it's the kingdom of heaven. That a person would recognize that the kingdom of heaven, the pursuit of the kingdom of heaven, the pursuit of God, it surpasses any other pursuit in your life, any other challenge in your life, that those things need to take second place. In fact, liquidate if you need to, if it would enhance your ability to pursue God and his kingdom there. The buried treasure part. I've got James Montgomery Boyce says regarding this passage here, the brothers bring it up, discussing it with Joseph's household servant. Joseph never mentioned it, talking about the money. So far as he was concerned, the return of their money was an act of pure benevolence. Joseph simply wanted to give their money back. He had no hidden motive. You remember when he had it put in the sacks, he could have used that. He could have accused them of stealing, right? I mean, that was what they were worried about. But Joseph never even mentions it. What does that reveal to us? It sounds like Joseph just wanted them to have their money back. A freebie. (laughs) All right. Let them take that grain for free. Shock number three, then. When they find out that the money isn't an issue, right here, the the fill in the blank is the money issue isn't an issue. They thought it was going to be a big deal. They thought they were going to be accused of stealing. But now it's not an issue. What happens then when they tell the steward, hey, we've got the the money from the last time, we've got the money this time. He's like, don't worry about it. Oh, hold on. The money from last time, I have your money. 
Now, you and I know he, he didn't, <laughs> right? But what does it look like now to them? Well, wait a minute. If he says he had the money, but we had money, it's almost like it looks like a gift from God is what it looks like, right, to them. They have money. The steward says, I got your money last time. So now it looks like the money that they got, well, how did we get this then? It's almost like God gave it to them as a gift. I can tell you that uh, my wife and I, when we got married, we had, like, nothing. Right? We had almost no money. And we were both full-time students at college. We were living on campus. Our, our monthly rent was 350 bucks to live on campus. And, and that, was, that was hard to meet. And our rent went up to 385 And we were like, how are we going to pay for this? You know, that's what our life was like. Our date night, once a week we'd go out on a date and we had seven bucks. Seven dollars was our date night. Mm-hmm. And we would go to Taco Bell. And she'd get two items and a Coke, and I'd get three items and a water. And we'd be able to do it. And sometimes we'd have a few quarters left over and go play a pinball machine. We'd play pinball on campus. That was our date night. We had, like, not much. And we had, more than once, groceries that would show up on our door. We would have our doorbell ring, and we'd go get the door, and we open it, and there's bags of groceries sitting on our front step. Did God make those appear? In our minds, yes. It looked like a gift from God. Now, surely... Somebody bought us groceries and set them on the doorstep and rang the doorbell and ran to the car and drove away. That's, that's for sure what happened. But from our perspective, what does it look like? It looks like a gift from God. Just like for these brothers, the money in the sack. What does it look like? It looks like a gift from God. The steward was in on it the whole time. But to the, from their perspective, it looks like a gift from God. There was another story, um, and Mike's heard me tell this one too. This was more recent. This was maybe only two years ago. We're sitting at our table. We're sitting down to dinner. We've got food, and it requires bread. We didn't have any bread. We forgot the bread. Oh, no, we have no bread. We don't even have bread in the pantry. What are we going to do? Doorbell rings. There's a lady there. She's our neighbor. We've never met her before. And she says, I've got some extra bread. I just thought you guys might want some. <laughs> and she gives us bread literally as we're sitting down to dinner realizing we have no bread. You know, is there a person involved? Absolutely. But how did we esteem it as a gift from God, right? Yeah. So sometimes people get involved and they do little sneaky things to bless you. But what do you receive it as? Receive it as a gift from God. All right. That's what it looked like to them. It looked like a gift from God. And then here at the end of verse 23, what is it? What, what do we find happening? Simeon is restored to them. That's got to be good news, right? Because he was in limbo the whole time that they were gone. He was incarcerated the whole time that they were gone. The deal was, Simeon stays incarcerated until you guys come back with little brother Benjamin. And you think Simeon probably had a few words. Well, how long does it take you guys to go home and get back? My goodness, I've been in jail the whole time. I'm thinking probably, but he's probably happy to be restored. Verse 24, somebody am I reading that? So the man brought them in into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet. And he gave the donkey feet. Excellent. Thank you, Gabriella. So here they, they're brought into Joseph's house. By the way, this family, Jacob, his sons, and traditionally, even as the generations before them, they haven't lived in houses. To go into a house would be unfamiliar territory for them. They're people that are on the move. They'll stay in a place for, yeah, maybe several years. But for the most part, a house is, is not typically their dwelling. So here they are in a house. So that's probably a little a little adventurous uh, to be able to go into a house, but not just any house, probably a really nice house. You ever been in a house that's been way above what you're used to? And, and you can't help but go, wow, I did not even know that those kinds of things existed, you know? How is it that you have a pool inside your living room? You know, crazy stuff. <laughs> you know, just crazy houses. Uh, here they're in a fancy house. 
and they're they're not accustomed to being in houses as they are. And then it says here they were also given water to wash their feet and food to feed their donkeys. Uh, these are signs of respect. These are signs of courtesy. These are signs of being well treated. This isn't the way you treat enemies. It's not the way you treat suspects in a crime, as they were concerned about being considered. All right. Uh, so right now, it's starting to look like maybe this is maybe maybe this is going to be okay, right? <laughs> Um, I can't help but also on this part where they talk about washing of the feet. There's several places in the Bible you can run across stories about washing feet. But I'm sure most of you right now, if I was to put it to you, what's the most famous one? It's, you'd probably all come up with the same answer. It would be Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. Mm-hmm. On that very last night, the night before his, well, the night of his betrayal, the night before his crucifixion, he ends up doing something at that intimate dinner where he ends up washing their feet. And you remember, Peter objected. Whoa, 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 what are you doing? Because that was a very stinky job. All right? Um, if you can imagine what's wandering around in the streets, it's all your animals. What are they doing as they're wandering around? They're pooping. And what are you doing? You're walking barefooted through the poop of the animals. You know, it's dusty. At best, it's dusty. At worst, it's smelly and nasty. So to wash somebody's feet, I mean, really, you wash your own feet or you get a servant maybe the lowest servant, to do the feet washing. But here the master, the lord and teacher of the group, takes it upon himself to wash their feet. Peter objects. No, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? Don't wash my feet. No, you won't wash my feet. I'm not going to let you. And he says, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have a part of, of this in me. And then he's like, oh, okay, well, if that's the case, wash wash all of me. You know, let me get, give me a full bath then if that's the deal. Right? And Jesus laughs at him. I can imagine that's probably a funny moment. Jesus is like, you're fine. You know, don't worry about it. And, and what does he say at the end? He says, basically, what I've done, you guys don't understand right now, but you will understand eventually. I've set an example for you. Just as I've washed your feet, you should wash each other's feet. Does God care about toe jam being washed out between your toes? That's not what the point is. The point is being the servant, right? You're the person who's in charge. You think you, you should be served? No, I've come to show you a different way. You're the person in charge. I want you to lead by being a servant. Servant leadership is the example that Jesus gave us there. The washing of the feet was a way to give an example to show them, I want you to be a leader in the way I want you to lead is by serving. I want you to show that as an example. Verse 25, somebody might read that one. They prepared their gift for Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard that they were to eat there. Excellent. Thank you, Lupita. Some of your versions might say uh, that they would eat bread there. If your version is one of those that has that, I want you to realize it's more than just bread. All right, it's going to be a feast. That's mm-hmm. that's a word that's carried over from the authorized version from the King James version, uh, where it has uh, that word that sounds like, oh, really? That's all we're going to eat? We're just getting some bread? That's the whole big meal? No, it's 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 going to be a much fancier meal, and there's going to be quite a bit of in quantity, as you're going to see. But do you suppose? Do you see what's going on there? So you've got uh, eleven brothers here. And they're preparing the present. And what's the present? You remember it was balm, a little bit of honey. You got some almonds and some pistachios, some spice, some myrrh. So can you imagine 11 guys? And ladies, I'm sure you'll appreciate this. Because ladies, I've seen the way that you pull off events. You guys put it together and it's like first rate. And I know when I compare that to when I do something, I know presentation suffers. All right. Sometimes in gift giving, um, you know, I'm a good gift wrapper. Uh, but sometimes if we're out of bows, they won't have a bow. And they're like, really, Dad, go buy some bows and put a bow on the present. Right. At least I can say I'm doing better than my father-in-law. His 
his presentation at Christmas time was take the presents, put them in a pile, and put a, a big beach towel over them. Uh. And, and then when it was Christmas morning, you take the beach towel off, and there you go. It's, there's your presentation, right? So I think guys leave a little be desired there in the presentation of it. So now I want you to imagine 11 guys trying to present, trying to, uh, how do they do this? I'm sure there's probably somebody in the group that was a little OCD, and they're like, I got this. All right, uh, uh, let's arrange the almonds in a certain way. I got this in mind, you know. Okay, now we're going to arrange the, you know, and he's pr- uh, hopefully there's somebody in the group that can take charge because uh, a group of 11 guys making a good presentation, I can't imagine that that's going to mm-hmm. go very well. Uh, but here you are. You can imagine for yourself what 11 guys, 11 brothers uh, would have to go through to try to make these presents uh, into something presentable to the guy that's got the big palace that they're <laughs> standing in. From there, we would move on to verse 26, but I'm looking at the clock and I'm going to say, let's, we're going to run out of time, but let's pick up where we are uh, next week when we come back when Joseph comes home. And with that, we're going to go ahead and, yeah, if you want to, yeah, if you want to keep it in the Bible, put your name on it and put your name in the top right corner. Make sure that it's not confused with anybody else's. (laughs) (laughs) Esther doesn't want anybody to have hers because it's already filled in. All right, let's close in prayer. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you, Lord. We love the uh, the way the story is unfolding, but we're glad we're not in the position of the brothers going through that desperation, that, that panicky mode that I'm sure they were going through when they didn't know what was going to happen. Lord, we get to sit back and, and chuckle and uh, consider because we know that it all turns out okay and that it shows that you designed the whole thing. Mm-hmm. We thank you, God, that your fingerprints, your thumbprints, your handiwork is, is evident and, and readily apparent as we read through these stories. Go with us now this week. Help us to be light in a darkening world. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, all right. Thank you,